1: Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
2: That's exactly right. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Just open the app, hit watch on the bottom tab. You'll be able to watch the show live. You hang out with me and the assembled members of the hashtag crew. Hembo's here, Bubba's here, Nuno's here. A lot of baseball in the first hour of the show today. Again, every pitch of the postseason here on ESPN Radio getting set for it. A good day today. We got all four series starting. So we're all looking forward to all of that. A lot of uh, football, obviously, at the center of so much of the sports conversation right now, and a good deal of it has to do with the quarterbacks and these controversial flags that are being thrown for uh, the sacks. And last night's and the one from Sunday were two very different plays. Chris Jones coming up behind Derek Carr, stripping the ball from him and then falling on him is a play that some are arguing, they did so on Get Up this morning, should be reviewable. Because Chris Jones, whether he does or doesn't land with his full body weight on the quarterback, and in this case, I don't even really think he did that. But if he does, he has taken the ball from him. Chris Jones is now essentially a ball carrier. The referee has no way of seeing that. The referee doesn't have x-ray vision. This is all happening on the other side of the bodies of these enormous men that this referee is trying to uh, officiate. So that's this story. The one from Sunday is totally different. Totally. Tom Brady is sacked by Grady Jarrett. And in a moment of frustration, as Jarrett is getting up, Brady swings his leg. He's trying to kick him in the ding-ding. They call the penalty. They then throw. He then gets up, lobbies for a call, and gets it. They throw a a roughing the passer call on Grady Jarrett that, in essence, ends the game. In a one-possession game in the final minutes. So there's enormous frustration about this, and the Brady effect of it obviously just adds more fuel to the fire. But it is worth pointing out that as we were in so many things, those of us on Mike and Mike were way ahead of this trend. I heard this morning from a name you may remember, Joaquin, the legendary Joaquin sent me a note. His real name is Kurt Kaplan. He is a radio production genius, and he sent me a bit that we did circa, I don't have the date. Sometime in the late 2000s, we knew this was a problem.
3: Now let's go down to the field and see how the
2: guys in stripes saw this one. After reviewing the play, the defender did look directly at the quarterback, which means the call stands. That's
3: unnecessary looking. That's five yards and an automatic... You know, as we've been watching the replay up here in the booth, we can absolutely see, yep, that's it right there. Schlabotnik definitely looks right at Tom Brady. Matter of fact, gave him the old double take. He's lucky that wasn't called for a flagrant. He'd be watching the rest of this game from the locker room.
2: So something like 12 to 15 years ago, we saw this problem, and as usual, uh, we had our fun with it. It's always good to hear from Joaquin. Uh, and again, Kurt Kaplan, and, and it is extraordinarily well done, Bubba. That that one might even predate you. I'm, I'm not sure. That, I don't know if you were yet with us when we did that bit.
1: Yeah, I'm looking in the system to try and find it. I think I found it from March 25th, 2009.
2: So I joined the show in in 2010. Sounds right, though. I remember, 2009. That would be right. What was the year that Brady got hurt with the knee and he never came back? Oh, that was 08. That was 08. So, you know, that, that following season or going into the following season, they made a rule that you can't look at Tom Brady or it's a penalty. And if you look at him twice, then you're rejected. And it's only partially a joke, which is what makes it so funny. Again, this was the perfect storm on Sunday. And, and I, I, I want to make it clear. If you don't have, I have the utmost respect for Tom Brady. Right, I've always rooted against his teams because he was on the Patriots for 20 years and I'm a Jet fan. But if you don't admire the greatness of Tom Brady, then you just, I don't know what it is, you, how it is you care about sports. So I respect the hell out of Tom Brady. But it is impossible not to note that he tries to kick Grady Jarrett in the family jewels and then gets up and is looking for a call and gets it. And wins the game as a result of it. Like that's the the optics of that are are just impossible to ignore, right? We can't. No, no. As as the ultimate cynic, like we can't pretend that isn't exactly what happened here,
1: right? I mean, listen. If you can get away with it, that's my. Like, go ahead and and so forth. Uh, Honestly, here's. I have a conspiracy theory about yesterday's call, though. Let me hear it. The NFL knew they screwed up on Sunday. So they were like, hey, to make, to make it look good, we have to give a mediocre quarterback a call. And it just happened to just be Derek Carr's chance.
2: Well, yeah, because the, the other quarterback wasn't mediocre. <laughs> no, no, no your, your mind is remarkable. He, here, here's what I will say about this whole thing. The National Football League is doing the right thing. We can argue about whether it's going about it exactly the right way, but it's doing the right thing. Now, I've been on these very airwaves long enough that I was hosting that show. Mike and Mike, we were talking about this back when they first started instituting, not the quarterback stuff, but these hits on defenseless receivers. Can't hit them high, can't hit them in the head, all that stuff. And I had one after another defensive player come on and tell me, you can't do this. My strike zone, my target zone is too. they're going to change their pad level. The, all the reasons why it was going to become impossible to play defense. Do you even remember that anymore? No. They changed the rule. The players adjusted. You see a flag for it every now and again, and the game has become safer as a result of it. They did the right thing. Now, in this case, they're doing the right thing again. They have to protect their quarterbacks more than they have to protect everybody else. That may sound incredibly callous. You never want to see any football player suffer a significant injury in a game, and you certainly don't want any player to suffer problems that relate to brain injury after they finish playing. But there are two ways that I can illustrate the disproportionate significance of quarterbacks, and that is to say, the first one is, this game between Kansas City and Buffalo, is going to be one of the great regular season games, probably the best regular season game of the season. There probably isn't a regular season game you're looking forward to more than this. If either Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes were not playing, how different would you feel about it? You could take any other player out of that game, and it wouldn't impact your excitement level for it at all. At all. But those two guys... It makes all the difference in the world. The league has to protect the quarterbacks because the quarterbacks are their star. The quarterbacks are their moneymaker. It used to be all about the shield, and the sport was different. In, the sport, in my youth, many of the biggest stars in the sport were not quarterbacks. Tony Dorsett was one of the biggest stars in the sport. O.J. Simpson was one of the biggest stars in the sport. There were plenty. Of, quarterback was not nearly as important a position as it is today. Now it's Everything. So that's reason number one. The second is going to sound even more callous. We all saw Tua Tungavailoa and that horrible moment that took place on the game a week ago Thursday night, right? Scared everybody to death. Were you watching this past Sunday? And if you're like me, you see everything that happens because you will have, at minimum, you will have red zone on. So you don't have to have been watching the game between the Lions and the Patriots to have seen a Lions player go down, straight down and looked limp, like the most terrifying thing you can possibly see. To see an ambulance drive out onto the field to see that player, I believe it was his father, someone came down out of the stands. I don't know who it was, but someone who looked to be the right age to have been his father came out of the stands and got in the ambulance with him, and they drove him off the field, and the game was stopped for something like 10 minutes. We all saw it, right? You've seen it by now. You've seen it, whether it was on a replay or something like that. It is, it is the most horrendous thing that can happen in a football game. But ask yourself this question. Do you remember the player's name? Do you remember who that happened to? Did you check to see if he was okay? To Watunga-Vailoa, it was on Good Morning America the next day. Robin Roberts is talking about it on ABC. To an audience that is not just hardcore football fans like I have on Get Up and Here. No one was talking about Savion Smith, who is the player that I'm talking about in the game between the Lions and the Patriots. His health is obviously not less important than Tua's health or anybody else's. And God bless him, the news is that he was released from the hospital. But the point I'm making is when these things happen to quarterbacks, they become national news. For all I know, they become international news. And when these things happen to anybody else, they don't. That's a, a, a real factor. Now, it should not be a consideration when they make decisions about players' safety. But when you see rules that are being changed like this, when you see a quarterback getting that level of protection and you say, well, why doesn't every other player get that level of protection? Well, somewhere in there lies the reason. And once again, please do not mistake what I'm saying. Doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it should be. It does not mean that Savion Smith's family doesn't love him and care about him every bit as much as Tua's family cares about him. It just means that when it's the quarterback, everything changes. So that's why the NFL is doing what it's doing. So if they have to have one really bad-looking call, you tell me. If you're the NFL, would you rather have get up the following morning talking about Grady Jarrett's call and yelling and screaming about a blown call, or would you rather have Get Up the Friday morning that we had after the Tua play? It's a a rhetorical question. Mm -hmm. You don't have to answer the question. It is is quite obvious which of those two things. And I can tell you right now, the morning after the Tua game, we had the highest-rated Friday Get Up show that we've had all football season because everyone wanted to tune in to hear what people would say about that. So those are the cold, hard realities of pro football. And I, for one, have always commended the leadership of the NFL, not for getting everything right, but for prioritizing the safety of players first and foremost. You have an inherently dangerous sport. Nothing will change that. But it is their obligation, and I believe they have tried, to make it as safe as it is possible to make it. And so I'm not going to sit here and lose my mind in any way other than fun when they have a call that gets the kind of reaction that we got the other day. Greeny, the road to the World Series goes through ESPN Radio. Uh, Catch all the postseason action presented by AutoZone right here on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Coming up, the best statistic you will hear today about the sort of sports dominance that we have barely ever seen before. That's next on ESPN Radio. Greeny, the
3: podcast. H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y.
2: Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement... Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Granny with you on ESPN Radio. We come to you live above the Heineken River deck at Pier 17 every day. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. So much going on out there. We spent plenty of time on the NFL today and the hits to the quarterbacks and everything else. Plenty of time on the baseball today. The second round, if you will, of the playoffs begin all across the country today. And ESPN Radio has all the games and looking forward to it obviously, as we get this thing started here going forward. But I have a statistic that Hembo promised me is going to be absolutely fascinating. And so I'm going to give him a chance to bring it to the fore here. Hembo's entire life is basically spent just looking up numbers that other people might find interesting. And he found one that I generally do that I think does a pretty good job of illustrating the practically unprecedented dominance that we have seen from one person. And that person is Nick Saban. Hambo, go. So this is
0: Nick Saban's 16th season at Alabama. Meaning, since he's gotten there, there have obviously been 15 national champions. Saban himself, Alabama, has won six of those 15 national championships. But that only begins to scratch the surface on how impressive his run has been.
2: To be clear... Six out of 15 is 40%. <laughs> so, so just right there, he has won 40%. Of, and he took over something of a rebuild, to be clear. That first year or so, they weren't outstanding. Mm-hmm. So out of the 15 years that there have been champions named since he, or crowned, since he became the coach of Alabama, they have won 40% of them. Keep going.
0: So that means there are nine remaining champions during that time, and eight of those nine champions beat Alabama in the season, they
2: won the national championship. See, that is where it gets really incredible. If you think about it, the only way to get through Saban fourteen out of fifteen times is to beat him head up. He has had a run of utter dominance, and I think you told me the fifteenth there was sort of a, a Kevin Bacon esque kind of uh, you know connection. What was it again? It was Florida State. Florida State in 2013 won the national
0: championship. In that game in the Natty, they beat Auburn, which beat Alabama on the pick six. Yeah.
2: So, so, so oh, on the kick six. Excuse me, on the kick yeah, six. Yeah, on the kick six. Yeah. So, so, I mean, the road to the championship has gone through, if you want to sort of look at it that way, has gone through Saban every year <laughs> since he got to Alabama. Now we ask yourself, how is that possible that one person could be so dominant? And the obvious answer is the sport is a little bit more competitive. No, not a little. It is more competitive than it's ever been before. There are more teams that get their games on TV. You don't need me to run through all the reasons why it's more competitive than ever before. And now it's also chaotic because of transfer portals and name image and likeness payments and all the rest of that. And we'll see if this run of just utter dominance continues as they go into the new frontier. But here's the one thing I will say. Now, I was raised in New York City, and then I went to Chicago, and those are both big cities, so they're pro-sport cities. So I have covered and I have, you know, followed intimately college football much less than I have pro football and the NBA and baseball and all that in my life. But as time has gone on, I've become more um, interested in college football for two reasons. One of them is, well, I guess they're really in some ways both the same reason, and that is Because it is so hard to win the championship, meaning you have to have a perfect or almost perfect regular season to have a chance to win the championship, every game feels like a playoff game. Like, remember that first weekend, like, Ohio State was playing Notre Dame? And that game meant everything. It's not like a week one NFL matchup where they have nothing but time to completely, by the time the season ends, that game may not factor into anything. But there's no chance... That that game, which I I believe was played in August or maybe it was September 2nd or something, there's no chance that doesn't wind up factoring in at the end. So that that has made me a little more appreciative of college football. What it has also done is it has given Saban and Alabama the opportunity to have a run of this kind of dominance that just doesn't exist in the other sports. And the reason for that is the randomness of the championships. And here's what I mean by that. In baseball, for the longest time, the Yankees owned the sport, dominated the sport. They probably had runs similar to this. Not exactly like this. There probably isn't in history a 15-year period of time in which they either won the World Series or were beaten in the World Series 14 out of the 15. That, that, that didn't happen. But their dominance, one of the reasons that that could happen in the sport and can't today is because if you were the best team in baseball— through all that time, the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, you made the World Series and you were one of only two teams to make it. So at that point, you have no less than a 50-50 shot of winning. Transports that with what's going on right now. The Los Angeles Dodgers just had one of the great regular seasons of all time. Give me perspective on how good their season was.
0: They won 111 games, which is the most by a National League team in more than 100 years. They are an
2: all-time great team. They are an all-time great team. And now they get thrown into a best of five and then a best of seven in which their advantages are minimal. I mean, they get one extra home game. So, I mean, they have an advantage and then they get the edge of rest and all that stuff. There are advantages. But it is sure sure as hell isn't the same as if there were 111 wins just immediately put them in the World Series against the Astros, which is what it used to be. And was, for what remains, the majority of baseball's history. So what does that have to do with what I'm saying? Spin it back to college football. There's no randomness in the championships. So Alabama, if they were going to be, at, well, let me rephrase that, when there are 12 teams in the college football playoff, they will not win it every year. Mm. You just can't. Because you can have the best regular season. You can be the best team then you got to win three more games or four more games rather than just one or now two. It's just vastly different. And the law of odds is just going to catch up to you, right? The reality of that is just going to catch up. There's no way in the world that no matter, the best team is going to have a bad day every now and again. So that's either the worst thing or the best thing about college football. You could say the worst thing about college football is we know which teams it's going to be every single year at the end. And I agree. But at least it's not a fluke. At least the ninth best team isn't, doesn't have the same best chance, same chance of winning the national championship as the best team does. And when they go to the new format, something like that is going to happen. So that is what I thought of when you told me the stat about Nick Saban.
0: Well, for some context there, I mean, the college basketball equivalent on the men's side would be Coach K. He won five championships between 1991 and 2015. Took him twenty-five years to win five championships. That's a sixty-four team tournament. I'm interested by your comment though in saying that you think once this thing expands, it's just gonna be much more difficult for Saban to win every year. I think there's still a chance that a dominant team can still be dominant because football is obviously different than basketball, but it's a curious thought.
2: Well, yeah, look, it just stands to reason that if you have to win one or two games mm-hmm. to win the championship, and now we change it to where you have to win three or four games. To win the championship, it just stands to reason it won't happen as often. It yeah. just
0: can't. To cite the Yankees ones that you, you put forth, there was a, a span from 1936 to 41. They won five and six under Joe McCarthy and then won seven in a span of 10 years from 1949 to 1958 under Casey Stengel. At that point, the American League had only eight teams.
2: Right. I mean, when, you have to, when you're the best of the eight teams and you automatically go to the World Series and you just have to win one best of seven series, it is just easier to be dominant or to win. Cha- not to be dominant. Being dominant is hard. Winning championships is easier mm. based upon the format. It's, it just sort of stands to reason.
3: Greeny, the podcast.
2: Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network. Greeny here on ESPN Radio. Your calls are just a couple of minutes away. Um, You know, really interesting little time here in, in all the different sports. We're going to go through all the baseball tonight. And again, one of the things that will be watched, and you tell me, Hembo, will they patrol it differently will be after all of this hullabaloo about spin rates and everything will we see anything different tonight than we saw leading up well i don't know that we'll see anything different but we'll
0: see it be a massive point of the conversation Sunday Night was a standalone game that delivered a massive audience for ESPN. We actually just got the email that, that showed that the ratings were through the roof and beat all expectations for whatever it's worth. Just a way of saying a lot of people watched that game, and a lot of people thus had their eye and their mind on spin rate and these things like we did a year and a half ago. I don't know if the umpires are going to be more vigilant or not. I'm sure the umpiring chair you know, cha- will probably send a note to each of the staffs just to say keep an eye out because these numbers are spiking. But it is most definitely... Going to impact Garrett Cole. If the more that Garrett Cole can spin the baseball, he starts tonight against the Guardians, the better chance he can be. He has been awful this season, in some sense, uh, in allowing the home run ball because he's not been able to be hitters with his fastball. So that's going to be the one, I think the, probably the biggest thing that's going to impact his start tonight against Cleveland.
2: Yeah, I, I, that, that's right. And look, I, I will say this on behalf of Chris Russo, who had this whole, uh, you know, well, we just hear it again. Can
3: we stop with the analytics? I mean, I don't care about every line drive that's 109 miles an hour off the bat. Uh, enough with the analytics. Let us watch the ball game. I know when the ball is hit hard, I don't need you to have me give him the speed or the exit velocity. I don't need it. Well, what the revolution is with the spin rate. Oh, my God. Do you think Walter Johnson cared about a spin rate. How about Ruth? The much of you. I mean, come on. Mickey Mantle. Maze. Enough of the nonsense with the spin. Let me watch the ball game. Oh, my goodness.
2: Here's the thing. He's right. I can tell you. Now, maybe there is a... Maybe there is a a, a percentage of the audience like you who geek out on numbers like that. But I can tell you, and I understand how important a part of the construction of the game it is now, when they talk about exit velocity, my eyes glaze over. Hmm. I'm not interested. I don't want to hear. I don't care. I know what baseball looks like. Just show it to me. Hmm. You don't have to. Now, again, I'm not suggesting they're doing anything wrong, but I do believe there is a bigger percentage of the audience that is completely uninterested in that than the percentage that is interested.
0: Baseball is meant to be enjoyed. It serves no other purpose. And I sometimes think that just because we have the information doesn't mean that we need to show the information. I do think, though, that StatCast, which has, I assume, a massive contract with Google Cloud and previously with Amazon Web Services, is part of the reason why they're shoving these numbers down our throats, because they're contractually obligated. But I think there's probably more people like you than like me that are turned off by those numbers. Yes,
2: and our Chris Russo is our spokesman. Uh, we continue in 15 seconds. All right, a few things left that I want to get to today, but let's start with a few calls. We haven't gotten any phone calls in today, and I always like to hear what the folks are thinking about, so let's get that started. Bubba, who is first up? We'll start with Chris. All right, Chris, you are on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. Chris, what do you want to know?
1: How's it going, fellas? Uh, i got a baseball question from a non-baseball fan. Um, I kept up a lot with what Aaron Judge did, as far as, you know, the sixty two home runs and his name been an M V P race. I also hear Otani's name in an M V P race. And what he's done is something the sport's never seen. So my question is, a comp for O'Tani, is he something like a Lamar Jackson who can lead the league in passing and rushing? Or is he more like, say, a Josh Allen who can do everything he does on defense on offense? but also play defense and be an edge rusher and get
2: you 10 sacks a season. Well, he's more like that. But, of course, Josh Allen doesn't actually do that. There are two Josh Allens, and one of them does that. <laughs> um, the, the, it, 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 look, Lamar Jackson's dual threat, and there are a lot of quarterbacks who have both skills, the ability to throw and ability to run, and it's incredibly valuable. And we see them every week. If Josh Allen is one, Lamar Jackson is one, Kyler Murray is one. You know who they are. Uh, but what Ohtani is doing is more than that. What Ohtani is doing is if you were both Lamar Jackson and you were, I, I don't know, Minka Fitzpatrick at the same time.
0: Yeah. Aaron Judge is one in a million. Shohei Otani is one in a billion. What Shohei Otani has done over the last two seasons has never been done before. It will likely never be done again. And there is no good comparison for it. I mean, I guess that would be the closest thing. If you were one of the best quarterbacks in the league and one of the best edge rushers in the league, you would win the MVP every single season. The fact that he won't is a baseball shortcoming and not an Otani shortcoming.
2: Would you if your team was terrible? Absolutely. You would win the MVP in football even if your team was 3-14. and The problem is there is no construct in football for which you could be a
0: great quarterback, a great edge rusher, and your team would be terrible. That's the difference between baseball and all the other
2: sports. I don't know that that's impossible. We've had quarterbacks. I mean, Deshaun Watson was a great... Uh, quarterback his last year in Houston, and they had a terrible season. Mm-hmm. If you had just added him to the defense, oh, it's a stupid conversation. And you know what? I, the, I the do. Point, You're They're right. You're right. I guess what I'm saying is I continue to support judge for MVP. <laughs> Bubba, who's next? We're going to go to AJ. All right, AJ, you're on the Dr. Pepper call in line. AJ, what do you want to know? Hey, uh, I'm a
0: diehard Eagles fan. It's not necessarily one on what I want to know, just something I want to put out there. I got two reasons as to why a loss. To the Cowboys next week is highly likely. Two, uh, the Eagles, or the first is the Eagles offense. They only play 30 minutes of offense every game, week in and week out. They're only out there for 30 minutes. If they don't figure out how to play 60 minutes of offense next Sunday, that Cowboys defense is going to run away with the game. Second, if Jordan Milata and Landon Dickerson are not back on that left end of the offensive line, Micah Parsons is going to break the single game sack record.
2: Uh huh. Uh, thank you for the call and for your concern AJ Hembo what do you think well to
0: address his first concern right now the Eagles rank 5th in the NFL in scoring no they have not put together 4 good quarters yet I would say that's actually a feature not a bug that this offense probably has a much higher ceiling as it relates to some of the injuries along the offensive line every team's offensive line is injured and in doing my preliminary research for this game I'm not confident that the Eagles can block the Cowboys pass rush I'm exceedingly confident that they're going to be able to run the ball down their throats I think you'll see the Eagles run for 200 yards that's the biggest weakness of this Cowboys defense I don't know that they'll win the game this will be the game though by which Jalen Hurts is measured forever like this is the game you're the Eagles quarterback. What you do against the Cowboys matters more than what you do against anyone else, and that includes the playoff game last year against Tampa.
2: All right, so that, it is a fascinating matchup on Sunday night, and there's a little tip. Watch for the Eagles to run the ball uh, early and often. You can be a part of Greeny Nation. It's the Dr. Pepper call in line at 888-729-3776. ESPN Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice-cold Dr. Pepper, the one that fans deserve. Bubba, give me another. Steven, you're up. Steven, you're on ESPN Radio. What do you want to know?
3: Hey, Green, good to talk to you guys. Hey, I'm I'm curious about, you know, the Chris Jones sack, and I was looking at um, and watching Patrick Mahomes get taken down in the red zone before that Travis Kelsey, and that was more violent than the Tom Brady takedown. How is the league going to determine tackling hard like that and, and and understand on, on on the replay. Second is, I, I think, in something you were talking about last week, two personal foul penalties should be an automatic ejection
0: in the league. And uh, thanks for you guys. Enjoy you.
2: Thank you. Uh, so, so was he talking about the Chris Jones hit on Derek Carr? I got a little lost in his question.
0: Yes, it was his opinion that there was a hit on Mahomes earlier in the game that was oh. even more egregious.
2: Yeah, and well, I mean, what the Mahomes got flung to the ground. Was it the two-point conversion? It was some... On a play where they were... and no, it wasn't the two-point conversion. There was a play when he was down by the goal line where he got flung to the ground in exactly the same way that Brady got flung to the ground. Frankly, in a very similar way to the way the Tua got flung to the ground. And not all flinging gets a flag. It's, just, it's very hard. Look, we are, we are in an... This is an imperfect world. There, there is an art to this much more than there is a science. The science is we want to protect the players as best as we can. The art is how to go about doing it while not losing... The things that make the game intrinsically interesting and exciting, and that is a very hard line to walk, and that's what the NFL is trying to do. It's a good point. Protecting the quarterback matters a lot. It does not
0: matter more, however, than protecting the integrity of the game. Tackle football is something that we've enjoyed watching for a hundred years. Its presence on television is massive. All I hear from my friends every every day after all these games is about these calls. It's all anyone is interested in or talking about, and everyone hates it.
2: Stop, just stop, Bubba. Lose the music. I want you to go back to every one of those friends okay, and ask every one of them if they're watching the games this weekend. Ask every one of them, all of this frustration you're feeling, will it keep you from watching one second that you otherwise would have watched? And if they tell you the answer is yes, they're lying to you. Mm. No one stops watching football because of these calls. Now, if Kansas City was playing Buffalo this weekend – and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes weren't playing, lots of people wouldn't watch. That would become a much less interesting game. The occasional flag that makes you mad? Hell, one could almost argue that it's good for talk. It's good for chatter. Mm. Keeps them front and center. And it's a comparatively benign thing. How about this headline? So so Good Morning America did... Tua Tunga-Vailoa, right? They, they, they talked all day, showed that awful. Headline, football, dangerous, bad for you, scary. Moms, don't let your kids play. That, that's what that message was. How about this one? Headline, football fans mad because the game is too safe. They're going too far to make the game safe for the quarterbacks. Hell, that's a good headline. That's not a bad headline. Football fans are always going to be mad about something. I can be mad at the coach. I can be mad at the quarterback. I can be mad at the ref. And sometimes I can be mad at the league. It will not stop me from watching. None of those things will have any impact on viewership. And and, and as a perfect example of it, if you go back and watch the football I grew up watching in the 70s, you won't believe it. Like, there are things, there is a hit on practically every play that would be a penalty now. And it changed gradually And the audience has grown, not diminished. It's grown. We loved the physicality of football. We still do. It's way less physical than it was. It's also way less dangerous than it was. It's still dangerous. It will always be dangerous. But you go ask Terry Bradshaw and Roger Starback and Fran Tarkenton and the quarterbacks of the 70s how they would like to be protected the way these guys are being protected today. And it hasn't stopped people from watching. In fact, it has attracted more people to watch. So I understand what you're saying. Your friends think they don't like it. No, they actually don't like it. But it's not going to keep any of them from watching. Nuno, am I right?
1: Yeah, you're 100% right. I think, and I said last week or two weeks ago when Tua got hurt, that was the first time I ever turned off a game. But guess what? On Sunday, I was sitting back watching. Mm. No one is turning it off. Um, if it's a even, I was going to say, if it's a good quality. There's some really bad games, and we'll sit through all of them because we just love football so much.
2: Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I, if I'm them... I'm not worried about Hembo's friends. All right, Greeny with you. Uh, There are so many podcasts out there right now. It takes a team of people to bring them together. Whether you're hiring for a podcast or for your growing business, one place makes it easy, and that place is ZipRecruiter. And now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny. Okay, um, before we wrap up for today, you mentioned briefly that we got a memo. I hadn't seen it yet. Maybe it's in my email about the ratings for the baseball this weekend and they were very good tell me what you can tell me
0: yeah so the wild card series delivered large audiences across the weekend and surpassed espn's research estimates in nearly every window so on friday the series averaged about three million viewers up between 65 50, excuse me 55 and 65 percent ac- uh, compared to 2020 on saturday The four wildcard games ranked as four of the five most viewed cable telecasts of the day, with only Tennessee LSU sneaking in there as well. And then on Sunday, the game between the Padres and the Mets, it was the second most viewed cable telecast of the day, trailing only the Giants-Packers game on Sunday morning. So I guess if we're going to try and quantify whether or not baseball's new playoff format was a success, it blew past the expectations of ES, uh, even ESPN's research specialists.
2: And what's really important there is before you, if you are one of those people who is so inclined, says, oh, but look, the football still beat it. The response to that is simple. Yeah, football beats everything. Stop comparing anything to football pro football and really high profile college football are by far the most popular entertainment vehicles in america they're more pop- they're more popular than anything else you can put on television no one anywhere is putting anything on television and saying this is going to have more viewers than football does so baseball should be measured against itself <laughs> Baseball should be measured against the number of people that used to watch it, the number of people that are currently watching. How many people can we get to watch it? If you're going to sit there and say, I'm not going to be satisfied until more people watch Mets Padres, which is up against an NFL game, than watched Aaron Rodgers play the Giants on a Sunday morning, you're going to wait forever. That's not happening anytime in the foreseeable future.
0: I want to ask you a question. So right now I have pulled up the 100 most watched television programs of last year, obviously the most recent year for which data is available.
2: Meaning 2021, the calendar year?
0: Correct. How many of the top 100 uh, watched television programs of last year do you think were NFL?
2: See, So it's hard for me to say because I don't know how they delineate those on Sundays, which is to say, are they including like the Sunday 425 p.m. game because – there's usually 3 or 4 games in that window. So how do they do that? What I'm
0: here what I'm looking at here is a list mostly so of includes, NFL games.
2: It, well, I'm assuming it includes multiple regular season games, not just the the Sunday Night standalone game and the Monday Night standalone game. Correct. Okay, then then how many out of the top 100? Yes. I mean I'm not kidding. When I say I would guess it's way over 50 uh like, what else do people watch in that kind of number? Like, the, 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 the viewing of other things that takes place later, if you DVR something or if you watch it on an app or you're watching it on Hulu, that doesn't count, right? That, that, no. That, that, that not, not comparable Mm-mm. to this. We're talking about people actually watch something that was on TV. Yeah. Out of those 100 things, I'm going to guess that, like, 80 of them were football games.
0: Seventy five of them. seventy five. I mean, there you go.
2: So three out of every four most watched. Were there any other sports in there in the top hundred? I assume like
0: I have to scroll down pretty far. The top six were all NFL games. The seventh was the inauguration of the president. (laughs) That's how much people like watching pro football on TV. So
2: more people, far more people watched football. I mean, it was one of those games, I assume, is the Super Bowl. That's right. And then the two championship games Mm -hmm. and then some other playoff games. Thanksgiving game and a divisional playoff game, two divisional playoff games. There you go. The divisional, that's going to have been Dallas-San Francisco, which was an incredibly memorable game, right? And more people watched that than watched the inauguration of the president of the United States. And that's an aggregation across
0: all news networks, right?
2: Everybody, everybody shows the inauguration of the president of the United States uh, and there isn't the same suspense in the inauguration. <laughs> you know? You're not wondering, well, in the end, uh, you know, it, well, let's, let's not even get yeah. into that. OK, <laughs> let's not go there. Give me uh, the winners. All right. So we got uh, all the baseball series. We'll save uh, Nuno's Yankees for last. What do we got today? We got Braves, Phillies starts today. That's your beloved Phillies. Can they win this series?
0: Uh, They can. I'm picking the Braves to win in five. They're just way better. But amongst all of the sort of underdogs, if you will, I think the Phillies are probably the likeliest to pull the upset because of their starting pitching.
2: Isn't that interesting? So that tells me you're not going to take the Mariners to beat the Dodgers. Uh, No, I think the Dodgers are going to... Almost well, I'm in the wrong. What am I? The, uh, I'm sorry. the uh, the The Dodgers are playing uh, the Mariners to play the Dodgers. The Padres. The, uh, the Padres to play the Dodgers. Yes. Excuse me.
0: I'm taking the Dodgers to win that series in four games, despite four all- games. In four games But how
2: much hot sauce does Joe Musgrove get on his ears?
0: If he, if he has access to spider t- tack, I'm picking Dodgers in five.
2: Okay, that, that would make that one win. For, yeah, uh, American League, the Mariners, is, is what I was meaning to say, are playing Houston. Uh, what are their chances?
0: I think the series goes the distance, but ultimately I like Houston, more championship equity, and I don't really see any major weakness
2: on this team. And then finally, Nuno, Yankees, Guardians, who you got?
1: Uh, Yankees in four. I... The Indian the Indians, the Guardians can't hit.
2: What do you think? I think that's outstanding analysis. The Guardians can't hit. The Guardians can't hit. All right, we'll see. Good luck to you guys with your teams. Enjoy all the baseball today and tonight and we'll be back in better than ever tomorrow on ESPN radio thanks for listening to greenie the podcast you can listen live each weekday morning at 10 eastern on espn
3: radio and see it with the video on espn plus also catch greenie on get up weekday mornings at 8 on espn and also available wherever you get your podcast